More and more, we are realizing the true power community has to lift up the human race in so many ways. We started this show to put the spotlight on community organizations, to highlight their contributions, and to share insights on the importance of community. Every week, tune in as our host, Stu Starkey, helps raise awareness around one of the most important aspects in all of our lives. Welcome to the community of big hearts. Okay, welcome back everybody to the community of big hearts. Uh, this week, we are here with Barkley from Turning Leaf. Turning Leaf is a really unique organization. Um, I'm going to let Barkley describe it because they do so many different things. Um, and each thing that they do, they do in kind of a unique way. So um, Barkley, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. Um, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about Turning Leaf, what you guys do, um, how you guys came to doing the things that you guys do. Yeah, Turning Leaf is a Winnipeg-based uh, crisis intervention and treatment organization that works with people with intellectual challenge and mental illness. Intellectual challenge includes uh, the diagnosis of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and mental illness includes things like depression and schizophrenia. That's the formal description of what we do. We're nonprofit, we're charitable. I usually say those kinds of things to folks when they say, you know, what is Turning Leaf? But ultimately, I think the best description of what Turning Leaf is and what you would see and, and experience if you were here with us today is it is a, a large community of people uh, that are focused uh, with a common set of values. And ultimately, the people here believe that compassion and unconditional acceptance have to be present in all the treatment and all the crisis intervention that occurs with vulnerable and marginalized people. Yeah, thank you. Um, what really struck me with when I was reading your website and starting to get a little bit more familiar with what you guys do was just how each situation is unique and how you handle each one that way. I would love to hear a little bit about how you accomplish that. But when you grow to the size that, and I do want to get into, well, first, how big are you guys? How many people work for you? How many volunteers? How many people are you serving? Yeah. So today, and I say today because this is a pretty dynamic place to be. Things change pretty rapidly around here. This has been a real incredible year of growth for us, Stu. And, and even during a pandemic, this place has been really called upon to meet lots of different and and emerging needs. We have about 400 employees here today at Turning Leaf wow. that spans across uh, the both provinces. Uh, and we also have contract with none of it as well. But in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, we are present in uh, seven cities, uh, Selkirk, Portage, Winkler, Morden, Winnipeg, Regina, and Moose Jaw. Um, we have... Uh, over 400 participants or patients. Uh, you can use that term interchangeably, but we serve 400 people here. You asked a question about uh, how it can be individualized. At least I'm adding that term individualized. We pride ourselves on trying to tailor a, a support or a, a treatment plan, a help for these vulnerable and marginalized people. We try and tailor it around them. People come to us and are often in crisis when they do. We know that there's a lot of places out there that can offer a lot of strong services. We feel our skill set is in sitting down with each of them and listening to who they are and where they come from and what has happened to them and 
what they're good at, what they hope for, and building a plan specifically around them so that they can live their best life in the community, whether that is independently, whether that's with family, maybe they don't start out living independently or with family, or maybe they require much more intensive service like one of our 28 uh, licensed residential facilities. They, they, they might start there, but nothing is different in terms of us trying to tailor a service around each and every one of those individuals. Sometimes it means people come to us and they've had no experience in learning how to cook. Maybe they come to us and they're in deep emotional pain because of a long history of trauma. We try and listen to those needs and we try and build a staff team around these people that is going to support them in becoming the best they can be. And that's really what you know, individualized service or uniquely tailored service looks like. It's really quite impressive. We've actually spoken to a number of uh, crisis intervention organizations over the last couple months, um, hot topic with increased demand. And um, you're um, looking at it as each case is unique and tackling each one the way that you guys do. Um, is quite impressive. And I imagine is um, a lot more effective when you can have the luxury to do that. Um, what affords you guys the ability to have that kind of tailored approach um, to the intervention? Yeah, that's a good question. We started that way. About 16 years ago, I started turning leaf, you know, in, in my basement and very unromantic uh, kind of experience. But when I started it, I knew that we saw people going in and out of jail and in and out of the hospital. And me and a small group of people got together and said, we can do something else. We can do something better. And we can do something that we refer to as person-centered and or patient-centered. What it means is that we want to make sure that the individual is looked at individually. It comes from this belief that we fundamentally believe here that people are doing the best they can. They're moving forward in the best way they can, even though it looks like they're doing something that is completely contrary to their own self-preservation or contrary to their own well-being, like maybe struggling with a drug addiction. We see that differently. We see that as these individuals have a long history of trauma, a long history of victimization. And we regard that drug use or um, maybe even drug misuse as self-medicating. They're using it to manage the intense emotional pain that they've got and the incredible stress or frustration they have with the world that they're living in. We look at that in such a way where we believe that they're doing the best they can, they're moving forward the best they can, and we have to walk along that path towards healing and betterment and not tell them what the process should look like, but help them make good decisions along the way. Medication, healthy eating, counseling, therapy, going to the doctor, hospital if we need to. But there's a whole series of things that we can do when the need arises for these individuals. And again, we build teams around people. So we've got outpatient, outpatient services. We've got inpatient services, so to speak, where we work with people in licensed residential facilities. We've got counseling. We've got, you asked about volunteers. We've got a volunteer program that enhances and supports the good people that are doing this work. Um, a fundraising team that works really hard at trying to gather dollars so that we can do things that aren't necessarily covered by government funding. All of it works towards that particular 
participants' successful end. We want them to be as successful as they can be. And surrounding them with people that are committed to that is the most fundamental part of that unique and tailored service. I didn't realize you were the uh, the founder of Turning Leaf. I would love to hear a little bit about your background and what gave you the courage to, to go out and start something like this. We, we talk um, a fair bit on the podcast. And the reason we started the podcast was inc- to encourage others to go follow their passion and go get involved for themselves and their community. And, uh, and you had the courage to do so. So I'd love to hear that story. Well, you know, it's like I said, uh, I don't regard it as an overly romanticized experience. You know, uh, to me, it, it, it's part of the story that I'm currently living. It, it came down to a couple of things. One, I had my own individual experience with mental illness. I knew what treatment was helpful to me, and I knew what treatment wasn't. And when I would go and get help from somebody that embodied a group of characteristics, some real qualities that was patient-centered, compassion, empathy, unconditional acceptance. When those ingredients were present in the healing relationship, I started to engage in a healing process. And I could be the, the partner to my wife that she needed and the parent to my children even that they needed and the son that maybe my parents were, were hoping for. And I, I looked at that experience and I looked at my professional experience. At the time I was working with dual diagnosis offenders in the community these are folks that have been uh, with long histories of victimization. They're multi-generational survivors of the residential schooling system. They're people that struggle with addictions and, and uh, a number of other real seemingly insurmountable obstacles. And we saw them go in and out of jail and in and out of the hospital. And we felt like we could do something different. One of the things that myself and another, some other folks that you know walked this path with me really embodied from the beginning was that we believe that if we embody the, this core set of values and that if those values are present in the helping relationship with even the most vulnerable of people, sometimes that's all that's necessary. Like for example, when we had an individual that came to us that was uh, someone that had gone through the foster care system for years and years and had moved around in the foster care system, sadly, through dozens of places. Nobody wanted him, apparently. He didn't feel like he fit in. And what that translates into for a young man is that he's unworthy of love. And that's not how we see these people. We believe that these people are worthy of unconditional acceptance. So that means to us, no matter what that person had done, no matter what had been done to him, we would accept him no matter what. And once we can get to that point, then we can start talking constructively about how do we help you on a path to healing? What's the diagnosis? Or have you eaten today? Or do you have a safe place to sleep? And how can we help you put one foot in front of the other? But we can't do that unless they know that the relationship between us is going to be a credible one. And we believe that those qualities that I mentioned, unconditional acceptance and compassion and empathy have to be present in every relationship. And so when I started this, I felt like those were things that needed to be present. And I gotta be honest with you, it was not hard to find people that believed the same thing and felt liberated by the fact that all we were asking was just embody these things. Let's see what happens when you enter into a relationship with someone that's vulnerable and marginalized with just those qualities. And when you do, 
you start finding relationship building and trust being developed. And then we start moving to healing. And ultimately, that was how the thing started. But it's more exciting to me to talk about how many people have gotten on board with this in this you know, really exciting and, and contagious way so that our growth is because of these people around me that believe the same way and, and value the same things. It's fascinating to watch and it's, it's great to be a part of. Barkley, your passion's infectious. That's why people are following you as well as this being an incredibly impactful cause. Um, I wrote a note down here when you were talking that, you know, you don't um, see it as something courageous. That's because you're in it. Uh, you don't see what you're doing, how you're affecting um, as many people as you are. I have one um, personal question. I hope it's okay. You said that you had um, had your own dealings with some mental health. And I'm curious um, about if this experience has helped your mental health by founding and leading this organization. Have you found a better, um, uh, with lack of a better term, health for yourself? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I think what it, what it's done is it's it's helped me in in terms of my mental health in a couple of different ways. One, the notion of self care used to be something that I would not necessarily prioritize, but in this field, in this organization, we are working with people that are in pain all the time, and they require us to be present and healthy in order to give them the best care that they deserve. That means for me that I have an obligation to be healthy. And so I have an obligation outside of my gig here to do things that are going to help me stay healthy. Now, admittedly, this is a high stress job. And the 400 people that work here, I'm very mindful of how much this can take from them. That's why we push this concept of self-care so much. We built it into policy. We have amplified how many uh, wellness days people can take. We're eager to help them get the balance that they need. So in that regard, yeah, it certainly has helped me and get balance in my world, uh, which is translated into me hopefully being a more attentive father and a better partner and, and those kinds of things. There's, it's interesting also because I mentioned the concept of empathy, you know, and when you are sitting across from somebody and even in my gig is the CEO and I don't get to have a lot of face time with people at this point that our, pa our participants are patients, but when you do get to sit across from somebody or they pop in, someone that used to work with a number of years ago and, you, and they want to catch up with you, it's, it's incredibly difficult to ignore just how incredibly resilient these people are and how much pain they've experienced. And their stories are just heartbreaking. And I think anybody would be hard pressed to not connect with that. Mm -hmm. And it, I've, I think you don't have much of a choice either to be grateful for your health and what you've been given. It's almost an equal contribution of gratefulness and, you know, a sense of responsibility to connect with and, and help these folks as best as you can. So in lots of ways, this job has made me a much better person for sure. Yeah, that's a great perspective, Barkley. And, you know, I, I asked the question, I, I want to thank you for, for uh, being vulnerable and exploring a little bit your, your personal story. Um, some of the research that um, Ryan and I have been doing on community and, and the mental health side of that is that 
Um, one of the studies that we, we read recently is that when you're contributing to a community, you greatly enhance your worthiness, your um, belonging in a community. And, and that's the key from, from what we do here, the community of big hearts is, is really, it boils all down to belonging in your community. And, and it starts with the contributing to it. Um, after you find your own uh, mental health, or maybe even before you fully find it, it's then contributing to a community like you founded, created, built, and, and now are healing people. I can't imagine how great that can feel. And from our research, um, possibly how healing that can be. So um, yeah, you're doing amazing things. That's really incredible. That's cool of you to say. I appreciate that. I do have to, I do have to acknowledge though, as uh, as much as my ego might want to take all the credit, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, man. This place is filled with human beings that make our community amazing, and uh, you know, uh, we could spend all afternoon me sharing stories about what these folks have done and how selfless they've been. Um, it's it's just a remarkable group, and you know what? We do call it a community. I know that it's a corporation. But I have to acknowledge the incredible bonds that these people forge with each other and with their participants. And they do so with such authenticity. It's hard not to look at it and go, this is pretty special. This is very, very special. And we have a lot of people that come to us that say this gig isn't like the other gigs you focus on things that other corporations don't and and be that as it may and i'm glad that's the case i can't take credit for it the 400 people that work here they're amazing they're amazing people and they're responsible for this thing's success you're a true leader let's um let's hear about um some of those stories you were alluding to i'd love to hear some stats and some stories of impact you and your team have been able to deliver yeah you know it's been a weird year it's been a pandemic year, but that hasn't seemed to uh, stop the need, and it certainly hasn't seemed to diminish uh, the demand for our service. You know, COVID made us, and I'm going to use the P word here, they made us pivot pretty hard and fast. And uh, this team has been amazing at doing that. We redeployed people, we reorganized, we realigned, and made sure that everybody got the service they need, uh, they needed, and um, We've been very fortunate that no one's gotten very ill uh, during that period of time. The stats that I can offer you are just, you know, they're, they're pretty standard kinds of numbers. They're static, but they're also a good snapshot of what this thing is. I mean, um, in, an, in an average year, we give about, out about 33,000, 34,000 medications and engage people in medication management. We make sure that medication is coupled with therapy so that people can get the healing they need in addition to the medication uh, they need. Um, about 75,000 hours of crisis intervention across the two provinces. So when oh. someone calls for help, they can get help 24 hours a day. And it's I think that's something we're very proud of, that we can be responsive like that, that this has been built in such a way. We know that people don't, uh, their, their mental illness and their their challenges don't exist between the hours of eight and four. They exist all the time, 24 hours a day. So we've got a dedicated team that has on-call services 24 hours a day for that as well. Um, you know, 55,000 homemade meals served a year to people in our residential wow. uh, uh, mental health care facilities. Um, 
we have a clothing distribution and and a, and a gifts and kind process that makes sure that people have what they need in their independent living houses. So the 400 people that uh, are patients here, they are set up in apartments. We've got something called an apartment setup program. I think it's called Home Safe Home, and our our marketing. Uh, person is going to be listening to this and thanking me for plugging that but the home safe home project is designed to reach out to corporations and people in the community and say would you like to partner with us to make sure that you know stacy or brian the two participants here have everything they need to be successful in their apartments so that they don't have to struggle they have a microwave they have a bed they have sheets all of those things that we might take for granted we can take care of those things for them um, 11,000 hours a year of trauma counseling in-person therapy. And I mean, these are some snapshots of who we are. At the same time, I think a real good example of what this dedicated group of people are doing can be, can be, uh, can be shared with the situation that we had in the summertime here. We have this one woman, I'm going to call her Stacy, for example. That's not a real name, but you know, we want to protect her anonymity. Stacy has a long history of being hurt. People that were supposed to take care of her as a, as a child was a, were supposed to protect her and love her, did not. And uh, she was hurt with words and she was hurt with violence and she was hurt with sex. And Stacy is now a you know, 19, 20 year old young woman with a mental health diagnosis. And she's struggling with the impact of a lifetime of, of not being able to trust people and just being in pain. And when we got Stacy, we knew that it was going to be tough because she was getting out of the hospital. She didn't have a natural and supportive system around her. And we had to respond pretty quick. And their crisis team here in Winnipeg picked her up and we got her settled in an apartment. We took care of her in the way that we talked about some of those basic amenities, stocked her fridge, talked to her, got to know her as best we could. But Stacy's in a lot of pain and Stacy tended to uh, engage in what we call self-harm, where she was in so much pain that she wanted to end. And uh, numerous attempts were made and our people were there to make sure that she was okay and, and they protected her from herself. And one particular day, Stu, this individual was just in crisis and started using uh, to try and manage the pain and, and the voices that she was struggling with in her head on account of she had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And for anyone that has any experience with schizophrenia, it's, it's an incredibly intrusive experience when it's unmedicated and untreated. And it can make people do things that they wouldn't normally do. It is a sickness, it's an illness. And we are doing our best to manage it with her. And part of the way she had managed her pain for years was self-medication, so alcohol and, and drugs and whatever she could get her hands on. And we, uh, found her on top of a parkade by a nearby hospital and she was about to jump and the thank god that the crisis team was there to try and intervene and literally pull her off that parkade i'm happy to say stacy is much better today she's taking medication she's eating she is connecting with our people it's taken a while but that's the thing about the group of people that work here. We know that we can't expect success overnight, you know, and their patience and their commitment to this person's long term goal of living a successful life in the community um, is what 
helps them see past the bumps and the crises and the tumultuousness of people that have a chaotic lifestyle. And so my hat goes off to them because they're the reason why Stacy's alive today. And, you know, we just, that's just one story of how these amazing people that I work with can ensure that people can get past the rough patch to a better day and help them with treatment and give them things that they wouldn't necessarily need because possibly they're being discriminated against because they're just another drug user or just another individual that's causing trouble or someone with a mental illness. They're able to open doors for them. They're able to help them get what they need. And, you know, there's there's so many of those stories where they've, in very in interesting and innovative ways, stepped into the world of these participants and found a path to healing. That story was visceral. The... Um... It's it was so important to hear every part of that story to understand uh, what happens um, to some people, um, what causes the pain, right. what causes them to make the decisions they make that sometimes they get discriminated against. And when you hear that story, I challenge anyone to be discriminatory, you know, to Stacy in that moment hearing just a small sliver of, of what she's gone through and, uh, and the impact that you guys have had. That's, um, that's amazing. Um, I did hear earlier that uh, you guys have a, a residential program. Yeah. Uh, how many people um, do you guys have in housing or help with housing? Right. in the licensed residential facilities that we've got, uh, we have about 60 people that live in within 24 hour care and they're community homes throughout the different places that uh, we have. We also have a, a unique kind of residential model. We call it uh, the cluster model. And that's again, not a very romantic name, but what it is, it's, it's kind of a hybrid between, you know, the outpatient model and, and uh, 24 hour uh, support and, and care. What it is, is that we, rent out floors of apartment blocks and people can live in their own individual apartments and we'll take an apartment and out of that apartment the staff are there 24 hours a day they can be accessed 24 hours a day medication emotional help um, help with uh, laundry money management whatever it is and it's present there for all these other people in these apartments, in these neighboring apartments, because they all have different skill sets. Some of them are mm. good at cooking. Some of them are bad at managing money. Some of them can't say no to their negative friends. And when they come up the stairs to visit them, they need help saying, you know mm. what, he's not going out today because he's, uh, he's trying to stay clean. And so we're that external brain that's able to be there and be accessed anytime they need help. And it's also got a unique kind of uh, community building process. So these guys, these people that live in these apartments, they can live as independently as they can with intermittent kind of help. But we're finding that what they also want is community. So they'll be coming down to the, the staff department. They'll you know order a pizza. They might have dinner together. They'll throw a movie on. And we're finding that when they're lonely and lots of our folks are lonely, they can come down and they can get the emotional support that they need. They can, they can have a smoke and a coffee. They can watch a movie. They can do what, you know, people 
tend to do with their friends. And um, that's been an interesting byproduct. And I, I'm really, I'm really glad to see that working. So we have about five of those, those kinds of uh, cluster projects, and then a number of home shares, which means a participant lives with a family or a couple, and they, um, they're essentially a member of the family or a roommate. And that, again, is another way how we're able to tailor a service around an individual. And uh, between all of those different kind of residential models, we have an extremely low discharge rates, too. I mean, less than 1% of the people that come to us transition out to something else. It works very well. And again, that's a testament to the people that are working there and, and including people into their families and lives and uh, into their apartments. It's and to the beautiful, the beautiful communities that you've set up. It's, it's really cool um, hearing that story and like the light bulb goes off and how important um, the, the people around us are whether they're in turning leaf or just in my own life, I need people too. And I can't, I can't do it all. Neither can Ryan. We, we need different skill sets. We need yeah. different people with different dispositions there to protect us or make us laugh or enjoy things. And you guys are doing that and using that power in an incredible way. That's uh, that's great to hear. I, I wanted to um, offer you guys, we don't get to do it with, with all of our, um, our guests, but I think this is a good case where we can is uh, two small men with big hearts, which is um, the company I help run. Um, we're a moving service and it sounds like perhaps that moving, you may need moving services from time to time. And we would love to offer our big hearts move of the month uh, program to you so that you can um, utilize moving services for free once a month. Oh, that is crazy impressive. Thank you for that. That's unreal. Your timing is great. I can't tell <laughs> <Good>. you. <laughs> and I can attest to uh, your company because I, I, I got them to move me. No kidding. To our new... <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. And uh, my hat's off to those uh, young folks that took the piano up the stairs. I'm sorry about that, <laughs> but God bless. Hey, it's our job. <laughs> Glad we can help. Oh, gosh. Well, that's an amazing gesture. Thank you so much for that. Like that yeah. does go a long way. That'll help us a great deal. Thank you very much for that. Awesome. Um, how can how can the people in your communities help you? You got seven communities, cities that you guys operate in. Um, what's the best way for them to help? You know, we we would love it if people just got connected to us. It doesn't matter if they can donate monetarily, even though we need it. That's part of how we can do some of the things that we do. Um, not all of the services that we offer are covered through government dollars. And I understand that, but we do rely on partnerships with corporations and, and people like you. I think what we really, really want is people just to get connected, visit the website, follow us on our social media, um, take an interest in the stories that we put up there. If you're interested in volunteering, please do. In a non-COVID time, we have community dinners. People are welcome to come and join us at those and either volunteer at them or pull up a chair. Um, even if they just wanna chat and learn more about what is happening in their communities, what Turning Leaf is doing to contribute to their local communities, I'm totally happy to do that too. And, and uh, I know that, uh, 
we can't do this without community support. And you know what, Stu, the offer that you just made is a perfect example of how we can partner with community members to make sure that we are able to help people from falling through the gaps. Like normally, in many times, people are trying to move certainly the people that we work with that are impoverished, they would be moving on the bus with garbage bags. Mm. That's a gap that we're trying to fill. And a gesture like what you've just made ensures that that doesn't have to happen. So what we've tried to do over the past 16 years is help people from falling through those gaps. And money is one way to do it. But building relationships in the community is also extremely important. And if they just want to reach out to us and uh, hear about what we're doing, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Well, we'll spread the word. We'll put it on social media. Right on. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're big advocates for skills based um, volunteering. Nice. So um, yeah, we'll we'll keep talking about you guys, and nice. hopefully that plants a seed with those with some skills that can come help out if 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 money isn't an option for them. That's perfect. Thank you. It brings me to my last question here, Barkley. As we wrap up, I want to ask you: What's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you? Yeah. You know, when, when you initially hinted at that earlier, I started thinking about that and there's this one moment that comes out. And I mean, I'm fortunate. I have family that loves me and uh, they're immensely patient human beings. I think the most poignant moment where someone acted out of kindness to me was going back to uh, my earlier years when I was undiagnosed with a mental illness, I was not well. And I was completely difficult to be around. And, you know, if somebody has experience with mental illness, they can tell you that sometimes it gets quite dark and sometimes it can be very dangerous. And I think the fact that a a friend offered what was ultimately unconditional acceptance to me and made sure that I wasn't alone and, you know, just was respectful about my experience, listened to me, was compassionate, and kind of helped me get to a place where I could move past the the stigma of what I was living with to get some help, get to a doctor, and and start a path of healing. The fact that he sat with me and did this for months was a really beautiful example of how you don't have to be specially skilled to help someone that's hurting. Hmm. You have to you know, essentially have unconditional acceptance and you can have compassion and you can put yourself in their shoes to try and understand what's going on for this person. Those days, those moments and those gestures that this person uh, demonstrated would probably be the most, the most poignant moment, uh, the most kind thing that I think anyone's ever done for me outside of my family. I think that was, that took a lot and I, I love the guy for it. You know, and I'm and I we're still great friends, and you know, that's that's that that's what I'm hoping we can be to our participants. That bridge, that bridge to the healing process. You know, yeah, that's a good question, man. <laughs> Barkley uh, from Turning Leaf, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your contributions to our communities. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the talk, you guys. I really do. Thank you so much for joining us on this Community Spotlight. If you're a volunteer or leader who knows of someone or is someone contributing in your community, we want to hear from you. Go to communityofbighearts.com and click the Nominate tab and let us know who they or you are. We look forward to speaking with you. Thank you again for tuning into the Community of Big Hearts.